It's good to see you all today. You know, every good team needs a great partnership. You think about it through the movies, you think about it through sports, you think about it through movies. Every great team needs a great partnership, right? Lennon needed McCartney. Kobe needed Shaq. Batman needed Robin. C-3PO needed R2-D2, right? You tracking what I'm saying? I mean, all the great teams have great partnerships and doing things together, just being with each other wasn't enough. Being for each other is when great chemistry showed up, when great opportunities showed up. It's when things began to go a whole nother level in the relationship, in the context, in the community. And so as we're jumping into today, we have to begin to realize that life is best lived, not just with people, but for people. Life is best lived, not just with people, but for people. It's kind of like this. If you go to anybody's Facebook page, you can see uh, multiple, multiple friends that most of us have, right? I have a couple of friends on Facebook, and my, my children sometimes poke fun at me and they ask me this question. How good of friends are you friends with people on Facebook? Well, and I say, well, I, I think I know almost everybody on Facebook. Well, how, why would you call them a friend if you don't exactly know them? Well, maybe they're a friend of my dad's or a friend of my mom's or they're a friend of a family or maybe they're, maybe they're a friend of somebody I went to school with or maybe they're a friend I went to, uh, you know, I, I, a church I was at or whatever. But they said, well, well, then why do you call them friends? Which is a good question. I think many of us have wanted to be, um, you know, we want these categories on Facebook, right? Where we can say friend, acquaintances, and I just associate with you so you don't give me a hard time. You know, if we could have those listed out, that would help us so we could really quantify who we're connected with. But the reality is on Facebook, there are a lot of people that we say that we're with, that if we were honest, we may not be able to say we were for. Is that too personal already to start this message? Am I right? Unfortunately, I am. And so last week, we have this great message about Kaleidoscope Church. And do you remember the illustration? We talked about three kinds of salad. You know, the weird salad with if everything was just separated and, oh, there's a, there's, there's a church down there, there's a church. If everything was separated, that, that would just be weird. And we use the, the American salad, right? You throw everything in, and then you ultimately just douse it with ranch, you know? And it's not really a salad. It's really... It's really ranch soup with vegetables inside, right? You know, that's, that's not good either. And, and, and they brought out this last salad where they began to put the ingredients in and, and some seasoning and some oil, and they began to work it together, and they described the church as being this, a celebration of difference, different people, different backgrounds, different lives, different brokenness, different, different understandings, but the, the oil, the seasoning, the vegetables all work together to create the salad. We begin to talk about what that looks like, that what maybe God is calling us to is not uniformity, but unity. And that's drastically different. That the church that Jesus described has people of every tribe, tongue, and nation, every economic background, every age. And we see that in these moments of difference, different kinds of people, different backgrounds, different scenarios, different stories, different situations, it actually enhances, it brings to a robust flavor of who the church is in the world that we're a part of. But it's a drastic difference between uniformity and unity. 
We called this the kaleidoscope church because we thought of this. You guys remember these as children? A kaleidoscope, you would look inside and it's got little pieces of glass or jewel or plastic or whatever it may be. And as you, as you turn the kaleidoscope and you peer through it, it creates through a series of mirrors different shapes, different designs. And somehow that's a great analogy, we think, because when we think about the church and our brokenness, that some of us are shards of glass or pieces of glass or broken glass. We, we think about our past, our history, our stories, our lives. And we wonder how they come together. It's God that begins to weave us together to shape us in different ways so that we create a magnificent design in front of the world in front of us. Because it's only the local church. It's only the local church that has a passion for community the way we all long for community. We're the ones who love differently. We're the ones who invest ourselves, our lives, to go above and beyond to let a world know not only what it meant for Jesus, God to be with us, but for God to be for us in our day, in our time. Here's what we want to help us really understand out of today, and it's this, to truly love someone, we need to be for them. To truly love someone, we need to be for them. And it's true. Uh, being present is half the battle. Being with somebody seems like half the battle. But there's a real difference of engagement when we're for someone. And I understand as we're going to talk through this message, there are going to be some incredibly practical implications that you're going to go, oh, I've heard this before. Oh, there's nothing new here. And that's why I love this message because it is a wake-up call to every one of us that we know what it looks like to be for someone. But sometimes the hurt, the wounds, the history causes us to pull back and not love like we know we should love. If you get your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open up to Romans chapter 12. And we're going to look at a passage uh, real quickly today and just unpack this reality of what it looks like to be for someone like God is for us. Now here's what's interesting. The Apostle Paul is writing this passage, and Paul is a man who came to faith. He had a, a miraculous vision in front of God and was a man who was actually, uh, Scripture says, breathing out murderous threats. He was arresting Christians, people who were following the way, as they were called, early on in faith. He began arresting them, throwing them into prison, and, and many even lost their lives. And so here's a man who's literally fighting against God, not realizing it, and God kind of invades his life. And he begins to change who he is, but then he begins to actually step back out into the world that he's a part of to be an ambassador, to be a witness for God. And this has got to be crazy in the early church because earlier we were hiding from him. Now we're going to church with him. And now we're going to be for somebody who is so significantly against the early church. It's interesting what he writes when he begins to put down in, into literal words about what love should look like and a pattern of life that follows after God. Here's where it starts in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. It says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, his perfect will. I love what Paul is saying here because literally he's saying, in the way we view everything about life, 
can we first and foremost view it in God in light of God's mercy? Paul's literally saying, okay, okay church, come on, come, let's just lean in here. Let's just, can we all just admit that God has been more gracious and more merciful than we all deserve? Uh, let's just pull the veneer off of it. You were once an enemy of God and God was still for you, right? So let's remind ourselves we haven't always been this lovable, right? We haven't always had our act together. We haven't always known the right way to do things. And when we look back on our lives, we stop and we go, you know what? God's been merciful. And so Paul says, in view of the mercy that God had for you, for us, how about we live reminded of that mercy? He uses a couple words in there. He literally begins to talk about uh, this idea of whether or not we want to transform our mind or be conformed by the world. It's a hinge point, right? We have a choice we can make. We can either change the way that we think or we can let the world itself begin to shape us and put us into a pattern that's just like everybody else, but it doesn't love like God would love. This idea of true and proper worship is literally this idea of rational or logical. You could almost say it this way. If God is in fact merciful and God is who he is, how can we stay who we are? Right? Why would we continue to be the people that we've been? If God is merciful, if God is who he is, then how can we ever keep living the way we have been living? Couldn't we somehow recognize God's character, God's goodness, and say, I, that's not who I'm going to be. I'm going to live. I'm going to love differently. And in order to do that, I have to change the way that I think, the way that I think about people, the way I think about how I should live my life, the way I, I approach people at work, at home, at play. And so literally Paul gives this kind of perspective. First and foremost, transformed equals an inward effects, inward that affects the outward. Meaning if you're transformed, God is going to do a work inside of you that begins to rearrange your thoughts, your emotions, your feelings, your memories, your relationships, so that outwardly there is a significant difference in the way that you speak about people that you work with in the way that you tell stories about your family, in the way that you come around a friend that's hurting. Inward change for outward change. But being conformed, being conformed equals outward effects, the inward. That literally the world around us sets our pace of who we will love and how we will love or why we would even love. See, it's a choice. Either we're going to be the kind of people, because of who God is, because of his mercy, because of how he is, we will either lay down our lives in front of God and say, you know what, because of who you've been, because of who you are, and because of who I am and who I don't want to be, God, let's live, live differently. And so he begins to unpack this idea of what oneness looks like. And if you ever want to begin to understand scripture, 
This is a good passage to just read over and over and over again. If you have challenges in relationships, if your marriage is not good, if you have people at work you'd rather throat punch than give a hug to, right? This is a good chapter to read. And I would encourage you to read it every day for this month. Just read it. Just read it every morning. Get up and just read it because it's so practical. And Paul literally begins to describe what oneness looks like, how we use our gifts, how we connect with one another. And then he goes into this idea of what love express look like. What's it look like to live in oneness, in unity with each other? And then how do we play that out in the community that we're a part of? Here's what it says in Romans chapter 12. Uh, We'll start in verse 9. We'll jump down a little bit. But here's what he says. And let me just encourage you as we read this. If there's any phrase that you don't like, would you underline it? Okay? If there's any phrase that when you read it, you go, uh, just underline it. Okay? Can we do that? Here's what it says. Love must be sincere. Okay, I'm done. Right? You know? See him walking through the retail store. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Hey, got to go busy, right? Love must be sincere. Okay, let's keep going. Hate what is evil. All right. Cling to what is good. Okay. Be devoted to one another. Remember we talked about devotion a few weeks ago? It's this persistence. It's this committedness that we don't stop doing Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Let me read that one again. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayers. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. I'm down for that, right? Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another, and don't be proud. But be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Now, I'm going to tell you, I I, I just read this passage, and I just, in all the depth of my spiritual maturity, when I read this passage, I say, are you kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? Nobody does this. Have you gone to my work? Not my work. I mean, I got good people that I work with. I'll just say that up front. You know, since I, some illustrations don't work as well as others. You know what I'm saying? Well, there was this one time. I'm, no, I'm just kidding. But you read this passage and you're like, are you serious? I mean, I don't even have to be a Greek scholar and I don't like this passage, Right? The way it speaks to me, the way it challenges me, the way it causes me to be vulnerable, the way it it makes me put down my rights so that I might humble myself and be vulnerable before people who, they don't really care. Nobody's pulling the bus over for me. Nobody's stopping for a moment to notice what I'm going through. But Paul says, In view of who God is, and in view of who I was, this is the high calling of love. So here's what it says. How how do we live for each other? Let me just give it to you real quick in a list through the verses, if you will. How do we be for each other, first and foremost? 
We learn to hate evil and cling to good. Somewhere there's a decision in our life that we will value God's goodness over the depravity or the evil, the rebellion of our own life and our world. Verse 10 says, we honor others above ourselves. That's challenging, isn't it? In a me first world, you mean as Christ followers, we want to be people who say, no, no you first. Verse 12 says, be joyful, patient, and prayerful. You lost me in the middle, right? Patient. Verse 13, practice hospitality. Why? Have you ever noticed when you sit down with somebody to, to have a drink or have them over for dinner, do you ever notice how they relax? You ever notice how they engage differently? Verse 14 says, bless, don't curse. Verse 15 says, rejoice and mourn with others. And verse 16 just challenges us to do this. Let's level the playing field. Why? Because at the foot of the cross, we're all equal. We're all equal. And we have to keep this logical mindset that as Christ followers, it does no good to be about me and my. I have a friend of mine that says, we're a we church, not a me church. Right? And this is what challenges us so much in the real world is that we spend so much of our life about home or work or play or the local church or how we want things to go to be about our comforts, our consistency, our desires, our passions. And when we turn the the view back on our benefit, we can't see the rest of the world. We can't recognize what God may be doing beyond us. Do you ever notice what's not listed here? Give somebody all the answers to their problems, right? Give someone a shoulder only when you feel like it or they deserve it, right? Just saying you love them is not enough. Be nitpicky about their faults, completely overlook their, or completely overlook their faults. Only invest in Christians or people just like you. Or smile and be nice around them. But don't really worry or be concerned. Because that's not real. It seems to be all the rage right now that people are doing uh, house remodels and trying to figure out how to redo their homes. And, and over the last couple of years, what's happened is they've started making concrete Countertops. Anybody got some of those? I don't, I don't know. Concrete countertops. And I remember the first time I saw this, it was on that, you know, Chip and Joanna crew. You know, Christy and I are sitting there and they're like, you know what would be really nice in here is concrete countertops. And I'll be honest with you. When I think of where I want to prepare my food and where I want to eat, I think about putting sidewalks on countertops so that I can eat off them. Don't you? But I'll be honest. I saw them pour it. I saw them lay it out. I saw them shift it and put it together. It was a cool look. I liked it. But they are heavy. Heavy. And so you know what they've done? They've created this paint, this, this covering that you can, you can put layers on top of layers on top of layers of your countertop that look like cement. But they're not. And you could go up and you could take a hammer to it or you could, you could try and lift it and it's light. 
It doesn't have the strength. It doesn't have the fortitude. It doesn't have the weight to what it really is. And oftentimes I think that our, our love as the church, it's often about keeping a smiling face and a generous hand, right? We pull up to that intersection and he's standing there, right? He's got his sign out. We see him there every day, just usually at a different location. And as a Christ follower, it's our job to smile and maybe hand him a one or a five. But what if we parked our car and we stepped out and we said, hey, what do you really need? Because you're here a lot. Hey, what's your name? Hey, I come by you on a regular basis and you've probably seen me. I don't give you money because what I want to know is, I want to know you. Why do you? Why are you here? How, how do I help you? Because I can, I can give you money. I can even give you a bag of food. But what you probably need is a relationship. Somebody who will put their shoulder underneath you and help carry you. Somebody who will walk with you when nobody else does. The weight of relationship is like the weight of a real concrete countertop. It's heavy. It's thick. It stands up. But we need to learn how to not only be with people, but be for people. And it takes a transformation of the way that we think and we act. But the reason that we can be for others, regardless of who they are or where they are in their life, is because Jesus was there for us. He gave of himself. He sacrificed himself so that we might know his love. Literally on the cross when Jesus died, he went before God on our behalf so that we could be before others. And you think about that. And Jesus took the first step. Jesus laid the example. Jesus went before God and said, I know they're broken. I know they're sinful. I know they rage against us, but my sacrifice will be the testimony of our love. And Jesus went before us so that we could learn how to be for others. One of my favorite stories uh, in Scripture is actually out of John chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, you can go there real quick. I'm just going to give a reference to it. But it's a, a story about a blind beggar. The story goes something like this, that uh, every day people would come into this pool, into this temple area, and, and as they're coming in, there is this guy. But he's blind since birth. And so the reality was that most people couldn't navigate through community. They couldn't get to where they needed to be without somebody being with them. And every day there was this guy. He was there at the same place at the same spot. Somebody had apparently helped him. And this day Jesus comes in and Jesus begins to encounter this man and realizes his struggle, realizes his sickness. And Jesus decides to do something for him. Verse 6 says this. Uh, after, after saying this, meaning Jesus, he spit on the ground, he made some mud with the saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of shalom, which means sent. So the man went and washed. He came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Hey, isn't that, isn't that the same man who used to sit 
and beg? I love how that plays out a little bit. I, I love the tension and the, the way it plays on the ideas of sight, right? Those who could always see have seen the same guy at the same place every day. And now that he's out and about, they don't recognize him, right? Isn't that interesting? You know who he is. You know that's that same guy. You're, you're afraid to ask what happened. You're afraid to step into his life. Why? Because we weren't there for him when he was blind, right? They were with him. They were in the crowd. They were in the vicinity, but they weren't for him. They weren't in relationship with him. But what's intriguing is the one who is blind now begins to see and begins to speak. I love the, the pool is called scent. He begins to go out and he begins to let people know how he is radically different because of Jesus not just being with him, was for him. It begins to transform his community. Once he sat and daily begged, now he begins to live and give. Once he found himself on the outskirts, now he's in the midst of what God is doing. Why? Because somebody had been for him, enough to get him there, to, enough to get him in place, enough to get him ready that somehow when a miracle might happen, when healing might come to his life, he would be in place. Someone was for him. And ultimately, the glory of God then went on display. We begin to realize, though, that being for someone isn't just simply about emphasizing the destination, but it's about emphatically pressing in to the direction. It wasn't about just getting him to a pool. It was about pointing him in the direction of Jesus. And what would happen with our lives if we began to be that kind of people? That we would speak grace along with speaking truth when they need it. We would be the kind of people that would speak truth along with the grace when they need it. But we would be the kind of people that would step into others' lives. To not just be around them or with them, but we would be for them. And I know maybe they, maybe they look different than us or talk different than us. Maybe they have different values than us, vote different than us. But what would it look like for us to be for all people? I want to show you a video real quick uh, from Brene Brown, and maybe some of you have seen this. But the reality is, is we've got to go from empathy to sympathy. Or excuse me, we've got to move from sympathy to empathy. We've got to get in their lives to where we own what's going on in their journey. Would you watch this video? So what is empathy and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's, a, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. 
And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, I'm down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, <laughs> it's bad, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, no, you want a sandwich? <laughs> um, empathy is a choice and it's a vulnerable choice because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. It's a simple cartoon, isn't it? But it makes so much sense. And I think, you know, I just, I just wish maybe that, that elk-looking thing, that deer-looking thing, whatever it was, I almost just want to put an asterisk to it that says, that's how most Christians respond, right? We try and put a Band-Aid over it rather than standing in the moment. We try to give an answer rather than giving of ourselves. And what if this renewing of our mind, this new way of thinking that comes out of Romans 12, what if, what if we begin to think like Paul is asking, the Spirit is pressing into us for us to understand with oneness that we're going to have to go beyond being with people to be for people. That's why I love that we have groups. And you guys have done an incredible job. We launched 53 groups we're filling a lot of them up. We're getting a lot of people connected. But we had more open groups than we've ever had. It's responding with this great connection. And this is, the perfect, this is the perfect time to step in and say, we will journey together. They're probably not going to be just like you. They're not going to probably be exactly who you are. And that's okay. Because we will stretch. And we will grow. And we will mature and we will bond and we will begin to become people who, like Christ, go from just being with people to being for people. Here's what we have to understand is that ultimately you can be for anyone because Jesus is for you. You can be for anyone because Jesus is for you. 
So let's move to a time of response. So we make this statement that you can be for anyone because Jesus is for you. And you say, how can you say that? Have you met my uncle? He's impossible. Have, have you seen my coworkers? Do you know where I've grown up? Do you know the, do you know the struggles that I've, I've gone through? Most of the times when I get into a conversation with somebody like that, I say this. No. I don't know. But then I tell them, usually about who Christ is, and that I have my own baggage, my own struggles, my own failures, my own weaknesses. I have my own family past. I have my own series of history. I have my own pride, my arrogance. I, have my own, I mean, you could start listing out everything. And I, and I tell them, and what I do know is that God is for me. And the way God is for me, God is for you. What would, we, what would our world be like if we lived like that? What would our world be like if, if the grace we so freely accepted for ourselves and said, thank you, God, would also be the kind of thing that we would say, and there's plenty more for you? Oh, that can't be. There's not a God like that. That's not what Jesus... Well, if you don't believe it, let me show you. I mean, that's what we're saying if we're going to be for people, Right? That's what we're saying if we're, if, if we're saying, in view of God's mercy and what he's done for me, I'm going to live differently. And I'm not just going to be around you. And I'm not just going to show up at work. And I'm not just going to sit when we stop and have lunch. And I'm not just going to tell jokes around the water cooler. And I'm not just going to keep up on your sports teams. But I'm going to look you in the eye. And I'll tell you, even if you annoy me to death and I want to throat punch you, I'm going to find a way to love you. Boy, that might, that might just change the world. But now it's so much more fun to just come in and sing the songs that we like and to get a good moral lesson and, and to look at the people that we see on a regular basis and have the same conversation over and over again. Danny, just, 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 just let us be, right? Hey, guys, can I tell you? I don't like preaching this message any more than you like hearing it, okay? We struggle at this. We wave the banner of love and then we point the finger in judgment to those around us. We raise the name of Jesus and we spew criticism at those who aren't like us. But what if What if those nail-scarred hands looked very much like the woundedness of our own heart? And what if the woundedness of our own heart became the nail-scarred hands of Jesus in front of others? And what if we put ourselves to the side and we just simply said, all that we are and all that we have, God, is for you. 
For some of you, you didn't get a chance to jump into a group, and I want to encourage you to do it, just to grab your connection card and say, I've yet to jump into a group. I need to get into a group. Put your connection card in one of the the giving boxes around the rooms. Get connected. Get involved. Grow with others. Some of you today are really just sitting on here going, you know, I'm good with strangers. I'm even okay with coworkers. But maybe you've got a friend. And maybe you've got a family member. Maybe you've got a, a past journey. Can I encourage you to take time to pray today? Whether it's in your seat or whether it's to come up at the benches in a few moments, would you offer it over to God? Maybe today in our response time, as the music begins to play, you're going to go and you're going you're to give of your tithes or offerings. That's a great way to express that we are for the mission of God, that we're even willing to sacrifice of ourselves so that our church, both as an entity and as individuals, can fuel how we might serve, care for, love, not only those in our community, but those around the world, the widows, the orphans, the children, the homeless, the hurting, whoever it may be, that's how we respond. Through the give boxes, by using the giving app. My favorite part of our day is when we stop and we pause around the tables the equal playing field for us all where we come and we take the bread and we take the juice and we're reminded of God's broken body and his shed blood, right? And we eat that bread and we drink that juice and whether we say it or not, what we're saying in that moment is this, in view of your mercy, God, in view of the sacrifice of your son, in the view of my own rebellion and anger and apathy, in light of how you love me, God, transform me. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we encourage every one of you to go to these tables, to eat the bread and to drink the juice and be reminded it is the broken body of Jesus. It is his shed blood that gives us life everlasting. And so in this moment today, as we get ready to stand and sing, you'll have a chance to respond, whether it be through prayer, whether it be through communion, or whether it be through our giving. But may we respond to the transforming power of God and His Spirit. Let's pray, and then we'll stand and sing. God, we give ourselves to you. God, for some of us right now, we're thinking about our divorce or our ex. Some of us right now, we're thinking about our addiction and the friends that we used to journey with in that. God, for some of us right now, we're thinking about our son or our daughter or maybe our father or our mother. God, sometimes I just stop and think and I think about being a husband and a dad and just being there is such a battle in the busyness of this world. But God, would you deepen my well? 
that my wife, my children, my friends, my coworkers, my neighbors, strangers, enemies, and people that I would come in contact with in any time of life. God, would you grow me a well in my heart that loves like I am with and for everyone. It can only happen by the power of your spirit. So empower us, strengthen us, give us boldness. And may we walk in humility, just as Jesus did. God, we love you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing. Let's respond.